Ladies and gentlemen, hello. Hello, Internet. Coming at you from the Vox World headquarters, Brea, California. It is uh, right now 54 degrees and rainy. Um, it's a week later, and it's still 54 degrees and rainy. Pray for us. It is. I'm running out of sweaters. Uh, my wool socks. Uh, my wool sock drawer is empty. I'm avoiding cats and dogs uh, on the freeway. It, it is. It is raining cats and dogs. <laughs> Uh, we're suffering out here, guys. We are suffering out here. Um, it, it, we are, uh, let's see, we're in mid-January already, which is unbelievably crazy. And uh, we've got a great, uh, great interview for you today. Hey, don't skip. It's official. The, dra- the California drought is over. Oh, that's right. Let's not miss that. Well, at least, yeah, that's big. <laughs> that, that's big. I'm now, I'm now going to uh, take longer showers, run my... Uh, Run my sprinklers in the rain yep. and uh, wash my car again. So that's very exciting. <laughs> um, yes, that is a big deal. Thank you, Andy. You're welcome. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, just a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, as always, want to let you know we have two podcasts. Uh, one, uh, which is this one, the Vox Podcast. Um, we love, we are so grateful for um, uh, your participation in this. Um, and then we have the Vox Community Podcast, which is our, our church in, uh, in Northern Orange County. Um, and if you ever show up and you're, you, you found out about this from the podcast, please say hello. Yeah. Uh, we, I keep hearing from you that you came and went and never said hello. And I'm like, come on, right. say hello. Um, uh, we are always, always interested in, uh, in who's listening. Um, uh, and then, uh, you can participate in, uh, the Patreon thing. We talk about, we're, we're, we're almost up to 70 uh, supporters, which is so utterly ridiculous. And um, uh, Andy is still running late on stuff. It's coming next week, yep. is what we're saying. Um, Andy Bear doesn't love you. Well, if you. this is on Monday, it should be coming out. We're shipping stuff like today. Well, Monday's tomorrow. a holiday. Oh, it is. Yep, so okay. Tuesday or Wednesday. All right, so Tuesday or Wednesday. Week. So, so right. we're recording this mid-January 2017. Right. So... Uh, anyway, we're we're incredibly thrilled uh, for your support. We we love that you share these, that you've rated us, that you give us feedback, ask great questions. It's such an honor to do it. Uh, today we're interviewing um, uh, a guy that um, I've been uh, an admirer of, uh, both physically and um, and spiritually and uh, intellectually. Uh, his name is Dr. Preston Sprinkle, and um, he is uh, a guy that that has been working at a, a place called Eternity Bible College, which is awesome. <laughs> and and ironically, that branch closed in right? Idaho, so, so I guess that wasn't that one wasn't so eternal. No, not at all. So, um, uh, but but he's doing some really interesting work. So, love for you to get to know him a little bit, and uh, we're going to talk about hell. And uh, he's just edited a book that covers different views of hell. So I think you'll find this very interesting. There's some there's some good theological waters that we're treading in here. And uh, so would love your feedback on. Uh, let us know what you think. All right, everybody. We are so glad that you have tuned in today. We have a huge. I mean, this is the maybe the hugest show. What episode are we on, Andy? Sixty-one. We are. This is sixty-one, which is Andy's age, which is phenomenal. So we <laughs> love that. Uh, but we are interviewing uh, a young man. How old are you, Preston? Forty. I'm forty-one. I just turned forty-one. Nice. <laughs> this is Preston Sprinkle. He is a doctor, Doctor Preston Sprinkle. Where'd you get your doctorate? Uh, from Aberdeen University in Scotland. Which 
if you're gonna but get my a kid, doctorate, my kids, but my kids all like to qualify it saying, "But daddy, you're not a real doctor." So, oh my good, yeah, <laughs> I, because I can't they're watching any surgery. They're watching Doc McStuffins, so that's what they think a real doctor is. <laughs> no, this is, and and what was the doctorate? What was your dissertation on? Well, my my doctorate was in. Uh, uh, the New Testament and the Jewish background of the New Testament. So first century Judaism and, and sort of how the New Testament fits into that. Oh, it's stinking awesome. <laughs> From Aberdeen. Oh, my goodness. Um, did you wear kilt uh, at all? I, uh, a kilt and nothing underneath, yes. Perfect. No, I, I, unfortunately, <laughs> kilts are really expensive, and I was a poor PhD student, so no, oh, no kilts for me. See, when, I, when William Wallace would yell freedom, I thought <laughs> I thought I didn't realize what he was talking about there. Um, so anyway, um, <laughs> Preston, um, is, we have a ton of mutual friends. I've been a huge fan. Um, he's written several, several really interesting books, one on grace called Karis, um, one on nonviolence, um, uh, called, uh, fight. Um, he's written uh, a book on, um, the church's relationship with the, with the gay community called people to be loved. And uh, and then you're starting to edit. You're starting to edit some books. Um, yeah. Oh, you just edited uh, four views on hell, which is the the topic we want to talk about. And then uh, you just edited a book on two views on homosexuality, correct? Yeah, that's the latest one. Yeah, that that's came out the a couple months one. ago. Did I miss? Did I miss one? Fight, Karis, uh, people to be loved. What was the other one? There's uh, erasing hell. Oh and, my! Uh, how could I forget that? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, I, I I think we can all agree that Mr. Francis Chan did not give you enough credit in that book. We know we know who did the lifting. Let me just tell you right now, we know who did the lifting. We know who did the like the illustrations and the practical application, and then yeah. who did the lifting. We just know that you don't have to say a word. Um, <laughs> Erasing Hell though was written out of the Rob Bell controversy about love wins and universalism and all of that. That was like 2011, right? Yeah, I think yep. so. Yep. So uh, six years ago, which is absolutely nuts. Yeah. And then, and then, Preston, where are you? What are you up to now? Uh, so I, for the last uh, six years, I've been teaching at Eternity Bible College, but uh, that the campus that I started up here folded six months ago. So I'm currently now, um, as of a few weeks ago, the uh, the president for an organization called the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. So it's helping leaders think through questions of sexuality and gender with theological depth and pastoral compassion. Oh my goodness. And, <laughs> and yeah, seriously. Uh, and, and it's not like that's relevant at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, we, we were going to, we were going to, we were, it was going to be the center for the timing of the rapture. A little less controversial. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad you went with your first choice. Um, <laughs> Took the high road. Yeah, seriously. So are you, what do you, what projects are you working on for that? So we're producing uh, right now. I'm working on a, a small group, like an eight-week uh, discussion guide for small groups, so nice. that uh, we can kind of bring the discussion down to the kind of the level of the pew. And then um, I'll be spending the next few years doing two-day pastor conferences, training conferences, and also doing a lot of these kind of like uh, response papers. You know, I always get get asked, "Hey, can I attend a gay wedding? Can I, you know, can a gay couple take communion?" And and sometimes there's no black and white answer to these, but there's a framework that we can provide to think through that. So providing yep. a lot of those resources for pastors. So oh, fantastic! Yeah, super stoked. <laughs> yeah, p uh, people to be loved. If if you are uh, interested in um, probably the most compassionate. Um, 
kind of non-affirming but unbelievably affirming of gay people um perspective uh that is that is a book i'd highly recommend and uh and so preston um first of all congratulations on that that sounds present it's like it's not it's like i'm not just a member i'm i'm the president yeah, um, I call it. Yeah, I am the president. Yeah. Just a couple of questions, just so our audience can get a feel for your coolness level. Um, uh, favorite, favorite eighties. Um, favorite kind of. Give me some. Give me some eighties like uh, songs that particularly if they come on the radio. You're gonna stop, and you're gonna sing to them. Like, give me a couple of eighties songs. Oh gosh, a- anything in uh, U2's Joshua Tree album. Okay. That's to my mind one of the best albums of all time. Beautiful. Um, Guns and Roses. When did yep. they were the Sweet Child of Mine? Were they eighties or is that that right right around? That the was turn? that was that was eighty eight eighty nine. But yeah. yes, it counts. Okay. It's in there. It's in there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then I you know I used to listen to a lot of like ACDC. They they were more like late seventies, early eighties. Yep. Um, kind of this classic kind of uh, hard rock, heavy metal stuff. Nicely um, done. Yeah. Favorite eighties <laughs> uh, crush, Alyssa Milano. Molly Ringwald. I mean, who? Who? I have never been asked that question. Well, let's go. I, I, I was, that's how we roll here. I was oh, I was Mary Lou yeah. Retton in uh, 1984. <laughs> Mary Lou Retton. Yep. Yep. Oh man. How, wait. How old are you? Are are we the same age? Yes, we are. I wow, am. So- I am my late twenties. <laughs> you look like yeah. <laughs> see, you just got a vintage appeal then for yeah, exactly exactly. No. Um. Let's see. I am 45 think so okay 44 okay. 45 46 somewhere yeah i call it i call it prime of life that's what i call it <laughs> well 40 is the new 30 right that's what i'm talking about so let's hear it buddy let's go you've stalled long enough let's see who is it <laughs> no i'm trying to think of some who is some of the like christy brinkley wasn't she well that's going yeah. man that's going that's going big that, time all right Fair is that fu- going far, is that too far back or no that's no that's 80. good no so she was in uh she was in vacation Right, oh, Chevy yeah. Chase. Right. That yeah. was the That's original right. vacation uh-huh. movie. So, I'll back you there. Who I'll, is? But I'm I, I'm not I'm terrible with names. But there's a few like kind of the supermodels that came, became actors back then. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, I can't think of it. There's a couple I can picture. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, all right, moving on. Moving on. Uh, Preston, give us give us uh, top three movies and trilogies count as one. Um. Trilogies count as one. So yep. my, my favorite movie of all time is still Gladiator. Oh. Um, so that would oh. be number one. Yep. Number two, the 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 Bourne films. Nice. I love those films. I like and... that you write about nonviolence and that these are your favorite movies. It's, I love that. <laughs> well, <and> then, <laughs> I love that. My third one's the Rocky film. So oh, beautiful. Here. So personal. I'm a walking contradiction. <laughs> yes. Yes. Aren't we all? Uh, yeah, I, I'd put Gladiator as my number two. Braveheart would be number one, of course, because it has kilts and freedom. And um, so anyway, not that you asked, but I'm just affirming your list. Um, And uh, and then uh, in terms of Olympic sports, uh, Preston, what if you what Olympic sport would you be good at if uh, God blessed you with uh, with kind of a talent you have already? But at an Olympic level, that would be what I'm going to guess fencing. I I, no, I think I would kill it at curling. Nice. I really do. Okay. I, I think I would be the best curler ever. The broom, the broomer, the, or the the shuffleboard. No, shuffler. no, no, no. The broomer I would be terrible at. I think that okay. the one that's, that's sliding that rock, yes. and that just the yep. the precision there. I, yes. I think I could. I think I could slide the rock across the ice. I'm I'm confident. <laughs> 
I've, I got to tell you, I, that is maybe the only winter sport that I would be good at. I think <laughs> I got nothing else. Um, uh, so, so Preston, we're in the middle of um, in, in our in our church. We're in the middle of a long conversation over the word perish. Uh, we're doing um, right. a series on John three sixteen, and and I would love for you. So you just edited a book called Four Views on Hell. Uh, that's a Zondervan book, right? Yep, yep. Um, in their in their Counterpoint series, and so w- what it is is sc- scholars who hold a particular view will make the case, and then three other scholars who hold different views will respond. Um, and it's and it's a fascinating. So you get you get four kind of of the best um, evidences or or takes on the subject of health from scholars who hold that, and then critique each other. So it's a fascinating way to kind of uh, get a get a glimpse of the field uh, of thought over a subject. And so I love you edited the book. And so what were the four what were the four views that you were dealing with? So the four views in the book. Well, let, let me begin by sort of um, getting rid of one of those views. Could you, uh, could you the, begin by, pur- by just getting rid of one so we just have three? Yeah, we're going to take one off the table. That's purgatory. Now, purgatory is not specifically a view of hell. Ooh. Um, it's, a, you know, it's more of a view of how do people get to heaven, if you will. Yes. Huh. <laughs> so it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not, in fact, the author of the purgatory, who's a Protestant, actually, um, he believes in a traditional view of hell. So, I mean, there's, uh, he's not arguing for a different view of hell, but... It, it, is, it does kind of reshape how you think about the afterlife as a whole, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why we included it. And also the previous Four Views book that we're editing had it in there, so we wanted to maintain continuity. But if, if we really want to talk about Christian views of hell, or specifically views within Christianity that have been advocated for, then there's three. Number one, the traditional view, often called eternal conscious torment. Ooh, East. yes. Yes. <laughs> Fry them. delightful, doesn't it? <laughs> right, seriously. Um, I feel like I'm in it every week here. <laughs> and I would say, <laughs> if wow. anybody is even near a Christian context, culturally speaking, and they hear the word hell... That's what they're thinking of. 98% are going to think eternal conscious torment. Right. Like some people, I mean, a lot of people would actually say they think that that's what the word hell means. No, right. doesn't. But that that's that's by far the most well-known view. Uh, the second view would be the annihilation view, or sometimes called conditional immortality. Ooh. And we can tease out that name a little bit if you want. But that's the view that uh, people go to hell and they die. Their their life ceases. They cease to exist. Now the the term annihilation is a little <laughs> bit of a misnomer. <laughs> <laughs> that's the nuclear option. Yeah, yeah, it's a little too nuclear for me, but I mean that's kind of the traditional term that's been yeah. surrounded with it. Most most people who advocate for that view like the term uh, conditional immortality or even terminal punishment. That that there's a there's an end to the pun the act of punishing. Yep. And then the third view would be universalism. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Woo-hoo, give it up for universal. Amen. Uh, <laughs> um, or ultimate reconciliation, being that at, in the end. Um, everybody will be reconciled to God on in some capacity, whether it's through God's own sort of sovereign coercion. That would be more like the Bardian kind of you know yep. view, or you know emphasizing God's agency is going to overrule human agency, or through everybody just kind of um, you know giving in to the love of God under their own willpower. More the Arminian perspective on that. Now the Bellian. We'll call that the Bellian perspective. The Bellian, that is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I God's think love. Was, or, God's love wins yeah. in the end. Right. Right. But it is still up to people choosing it now. Correct. How long? 
how however long they want to be in hell is up to them. But at the end of the day, come on. I mean, everybody's not going to choose hell over heaven if they have the option. But that's right. Um, to, to be clear, of those three Christian, and I'll call them Christian. Some people may not like the fact that I call them Christian. We views. don't care like, about oh, those people. <laughs> we don't care about those Christians. This is a safe place, um, Preston. You, we really want to know what you think. Okay, so no disclaiming. You're not a professor anymore. You have a foundation. You're good. Am I allowed to swear on the show? Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Earmuff. We'll call these earmuff episodes. <laughs> I, I just had a, um, a guest on my show, a friend of mine, Joey Svensson, who who has, you know, he's he's very fond of swearing. Oh, my goodness. And, yes. uh, so I, and I don't like to have any, any sort of qualifications for my guests. So, you know, he, he dropped a few bombs here and there. And, yeah. Um, so I had to add a, a little kind of a bumper of, uh, you know, a little warning in case kids are listening that there's yes. going to be a few F-bombs yes. around. Yes. He, <laughs> did the, he did the same with us. Absolutely. Yeah. To be clear, of these three Christian views, views that have been held by Christians, none of them are denying hell. This is the number one mistake when people enter into these debates. They accuse each other of denying hell. Nobody is denying hell. Rob Bell did not deny hell, despite the title of the book that I co-authored. Erasing um, hell. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's not saying there is no hell. He's saying people can escape hell. And even with the annihilation position, they're not denying hell at all. They're redefining, not redefining, they're, they're arguing for a specific take on the duration of hell, not the existence of hell. Yeah. So these are all quite, you know, That's approaches a huge that you assume point. that when the Bible talks about hell, it means what it says. And they all go to Scripture to argue for their views. So this right. is an in-house discussion, I believe. Yep. Now, why? Now, just one, one small point. Uh, why would you call universalism a Christian position? I love that, and I agree with you, but why do you think that? It's been held by uh, several significant uh, Christians throughout history, so especially early, early on, and it was, despite what some people may say, it was never ruled out by the creeds. A specific view of universalism uh, was ruled out by a late creed, I believe it was a, uh, Constantinople, maybe in the 6th century. Which was Istanbul. Uh, yeah, Sorry. Istanbul. Yeah, good. Thank you for that, for updating my. <laughs> um, but it, you know, they, they were ruling out. First of all, that 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 council was pretty sketchy, anyway. Like how it went about. But second of all, they were re- ruling out a specific type of universalism, uh, where it said it was almost like a recapitulation where everything returns back to the one. It was like you know, it, it wasn't saying that the view that everybody will be saved in the end is intrinsically wrong. It was a specific type of that. But either way, that. Um, that's as close as we get. But you know, we have people like Gregory of Nyssa, who's yep. one of the main architects of our understanding of the Trinity. <laughs> this guy's as orthodox as they come. And he was a blatant universalist, and nobody kicked him out of the church. In fact, they said, you're you're, you know, a significant architect of what we see as orthodox Christianity. Of course, Origen and, and others held to um, a universalist uh, view. So it, it seemed to be... It, um, allowed within the context of the Holy Catholic Church early on, um, even though, you know, it became kind of looked down upon, I would say, from Augustine onward and even to today. And and I, you know, we could talk more about what I think about it and the specifics, but, yeah. I, you know, I, I would say it's a Christian view in that people who love Jesus, believe the gospel, um, some people do hold to that view. And they argue from Scripture. My friend Robin Perry who wrote the essay on universalism in, in the Four Views book, his, es- his essay 
um, bleeds more scripture in exegesis following the hermeneutics that I learned from John MacArthur's seminary than any other essay <laughs> in the book. So <laughs> if anybody says he's dismissing scripture, they're being ethically dishonest. Erasing they scripture. They are erasing scripture. <laughs> now, again, I'm, I'm not saying his interpretation is right. I'm saying he is going, he believes in the authority it's of scripture. It's a biblical so argument. It's not a prejudicial argument. I just want this to be it, true, therefore. And yeah. it's a very compelling biblical argument, if you ask me. So, oh, good. Good, good, yeah. good. So so why why is it that the majority view has been eternal conscious torment, do you think? that That is a very easy... Well, it, my quick, easy answer is that's the view that Augustine um, held to. I hate pr- that guy. Promoted. <laughs> and um, that it's really from Augustine onward that it became the major and by far the most popular view within Christianity. Now you get to the Middle Ages with a lot of, you know, crazy stuff going on in the church. And you have, you know, Dante wrote his Inferno and, the, you know, some, I would say, Christian leaders who are abusing their power use this really torturous view of hell to ensure a higher tithe, uh, indulgences, paying for churches, keeping people in church. Like they, it became a, a really, um, a, you know, wieldable weapon in the hands of uh, leaders to, um, you know, promote their power. So, uh, but yeah, it was really from Augustine onward. Prior to Augustine, all three of these Christian views were held by different leaders. It seemed to be an in-house discussion, but Augustine onward, um, it became kind of the, the main view of traditional Christianity. That's a great answer. What what uh, do you see in the New Testament in particular um, as sort of the, the, the best argument for that view? So there's only... Um, <clears throat> I love this part. Later. I love what you're going to say right now. I love this. <laughs> How do you... I love it. It's it's either going to be three or six. I don't know which number you're going to use right now, <laughs> or it could be two. So, it could be the Revelation ones. I, I, so it could be t- <laughs> right now. You're either going to say a two, a three, or a six. Go. You are. We should just close in prayer. I'm going to throw out a couple more just because I don't like to be. No. <laughs> <laughs> there are. Uh, I would say. Let's say two point five. Ah! There, there's, there's two main verses ah. that this that I would say. In and of themselves, if you're on a desert island and a glass bottle washed on shore with one of these verses in the bottle, you would say, oh, yeah, this probably advocates for eternal conscious torment. So Matthew 25, verse 46, uh, Jesus says, and unbelievers will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go away into eternal life. Man, that sounds eternal. Sounds like it doesn't, especially when people say, and especially given the contrast since life is everlasting, so is the punishment. Right. Um, and that, again, that that would be, in fact, in the book Erasing Hell, that was the one that Francis and I um, were, you know, saying, man, this seems to affirm the traditional view. So that would be the, the main verse. The second verse that's often used is Revelation uh, 14, verses 9 through 11. Yeah. Um, Give me some which smoke. Is, yeah, yeah, a lot of smoke. I mean, rising all, all, forever and ever. Um, and the thing about that verse that is tough is it's people often assume it's talking about hell, like an afterlife punishment. But the surrounding context come on, come on. doesn't – let me just be as fair as I can. It doesn't clearly say that. It's not like John in Revelation says, all right, now to my next subject, let's talk about hell. And it's going to be like this and that. That's not the context at all. It's very no. much – It's Babylon, um, baby. 
yeah, it's very much a this worldly kind of wrath being poured out. Plus, you have the major problem of how to even interpret the uh, symbolism in the book of Revelation. There's all kinds of, I mean, every other sentence is a symbolic image and an overstatement, hyperbole, this, that. And you have to look to the Old Testament background of some of this imagery that, you know, he's citing scripture all over the place. So, um, but that one, you know, you have the statement that the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. So it, it does seem to push this eternality or everlasting nature of the punishment. But again, we have, how do you interpret Revelation? And right. is this even talking about hell? So the, the third, so if I was going to throw a third one in, it would be Revelation 20. Yeah. Uh, verses 10 uh, to 15, where it says the devil, the beast, and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire and tormented day and night forever and ever. So it's like, all right, well, that's <laughs> seems to be forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you have five verses, five verses later, anyone whose name is not found recorded in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. But what's, what's missing between those two verses? Or what, what's the difference between those two verses there? A little quiz. <laughs> right. Four verses. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> you got the math down. Good. I mean, <laughs> more than the three that have just been mentioned. <laughs> you don't have, I mean, with the devil, beast, and false prophet. And by the way, we're not even sure what those three are referring to. Well, devil's kind of easy, but beast and false prophet, very, you know, co- complex and debated. But yeah. you don't, the, the statement that they will be tormented day and night forever and ever is not used in conjunction to all the people thrown into the lake of fire yeah the only the only thing the text says is that it's those three that are tormented forever and ever exactly and then then you have the lake of fire identified with the death and hades and the second death right uh which is an interesting image too right yeah absolutely so those would be the big three there and there's there's several other phrases the worm that doesn't die the fires mention all that that are thrown in but those would be the only one that would say though i would say the the two the first two yep have really the best if any exegetical merit for the eternal uh traditional view so best arguments for uh conditional um mortality or conditional immortality okay so um yeah, I want to hear the I want to hear the phrase over a hundred. <laughs> I want to hear that phrase right now. I, I still get emails, people saying I need that list of a hundred. So, um, okay, let me let me this. I'll, I'll try to keep this concise. Let no, me... no, this is this is actually <laughs> what's interesting is I the more I study the text, the more I lean towards this view. Okay, um, and away from the traditional. Okay. Uh, traditional view. So, no, I'm. I please don't feel like you got to be concise. This is. I don't think people realize how much biblical support there is uh, for conditionalism. So, okay. yeah, Good. love your love your thoughts. Okay, so let me let me just back up to where the traditional view got so traditional with Augustine. Um, again, prior to Augustine, yeah, people like Irenaeus, Ignatius, Athanasius, um, Arnobius, who was a, you know the mentor of Augustine. Um, the Epistle of Barnabas was this early church letter that almost made it into our canon. I mean, we almost did our devotions in the Epistle of Barnabas this morning. You know, Irenaeus, <laughs> a major early Trinitarian. Um, Athanasius was, we believe in the deity of Christ largely right. because he was such a stalwart defensivist. So, I mean, major, major figures, when they talk about the duration of hell, they seem to be assuming or advocating for an annihilation view. So where did this whole 
Augustine view come from? Well, Augustine approached the question with the prior assumption, the Platonic from Plato, mm, yep. assumption that the soul, that there's a soul-body distinction and the soul cannot be destroyed. Yep. So he basically came to the question of the duration of hell with the annihilation view already ruled out based on his prior allegiance to Plato's view of the soul. If the soul cannot be destroyed, then the annihilation view isn't even in the ring. Yep. So... It's, so for him, there was no even debate or whatever, which I think is huge because that the Platonic view of the soul is not a biblical view. The, the Bible does not say that the soul is immortal. Immortality yep. is um, given to humanity. It's an extension of God's grace being created in God's image. It is not inherent to being human, which is why when they were kicked out of the garden in Genesis 3, he said, hey, we got to make sure these this couple doesn't eat from the tree of life and live forever. Well, That's right. that shows that their immortality is conditioned upon an extension of God's grace to the See, trees. that is that is an absolutely precedent. I'm so glad you brought that up. That to me is a foundational point. Um, hence the tree of life existing yep. both in the garden and in the city in Revelation. Hence yep. the um, uh, the wages of sin is death. Like literal that wasn't intended we were we were to be able to eat so so that that's massive so there's nothing keeping the human soul um going except the the grace of god so when you have you have a verse like the gift of god is eternal life oh okay that takes on a different meaning if you understand the fact that your soul isn't always going to exist it wasn't meant to on its own so uh, excellent 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 and you have uh, statements in First uh, Corinthians 15, Second Timothy 1, where it talks about Jesus's resurrection granting sort of immortality right. to those right. who believe in it. So it, that, this is where the term conditional immortality comes from. Rather than terming this view with a, the, the very negative kind of annihilation, it's, it's more of a positive spin hmm. saying not, will we be annihilated, but how do we get, attain immortality? If we don't attain immortality, then we're left up to the natural state of humanity and sin, which is, as you said, death. And I've had people say, well, the wages of sin is death, but what that really means is they'll be tormented forever and ever and ever. (laughs) Again, John MacArthur did not teach me how to interpret the Bible that way. Like, that's not, you have to do a word study, and when you you do a word study on death, guess what? It means the cessation of life. So, um, and and, and talk about perish. I mean, John 3.16. Yeah, so this is my second argument, and this is where we get to the Bible. Uh, by far, by far, the most dominant language used to speak of the final state of those who don't believe in Jesus, okay, the unbeliever, the wicked, whatever term you want to use. I know some of these are a little bit sound kind of harsh, but for those who go to hell, the most, by far the most dominant language in the New Testament is language of death and destruction. There's a couple of different Greek words, apaleia, aletheros. Um, death, destruction, the end. There's even a word used in Second uh, Peter one four and two twelve that you know almost can mean disintegration, like they mm-hmm. just they pass out of existence. So I mean, again, well, you're doing John three sixteen. I I can't you guys. I can't tell you how many times I've talked about this. Well, <laughs> it may have been six times, but it sounds better. Where <laughs> you know I, I'm I'm introducing the possibility of the annihilation view, and I say let's all quote John three sixteen together. And we were quoting it, and when we get to the word perish, I stop, and I see people who have been Christians for like a thousand years, and they look around saying, huh, I've never thought of that. I'm like, 
This is John frickin' 316. Right, right. And you never even crossed your mind that the word perish might mean perish. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> this just shows us how we, we have lenses on when totally. we read the Bible where we've been trained to see certain things in Scripture and not see other things in Scripture, all the way down to a verse that the majority of the world has memorized, even atheists. Yep. And yet we cannot recognize that the word perish quite possibly could mean what we think it means. So, right. Right. <laughs> but we have other, I mean, you know, another famous one is Matthew ten twenty eight, where Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy. There's that destruction word, both body and soul in hell. Right. Or the in, broad gate that leads to destruction versus oh, the narrow I gate mean, that leads to life. I mean, that's the yeah. juxtaposition. If you add up, and I, I need to get these, I need to get all these references down because I keep saying this. I need to put teeth <laughs> to it. But I mean, if you take, if you, if you, I mean, the Old Testament is crystal clear on this. There's, there's no, um, there's only one verse, Daniel twelve two, yep. that might be taken in, in never ending punishment. But it doesn't. Again, it doesn't say that. But um, by far, language of destruction over a hundred times in Scripture. Um, is is used in conjunction with the final state of those who reject God, don't believe in God, whatever, however you want to phrase it. Um, in the New Testament, you know, Paul talks about the final state of unbelievers at least 80 times in his 13 letters. He never uses the word hell, actually. Yeah. In every single passage where he talks about the final state, he uses language that, again, you can do a word study or whatever, it would it would highly suggest that uh, that there is no ongoing punishment there what about a, what about the Thessalonians passage in that uh, would be yeah thank you for yeah bring that up uh, so, <laughs> dude we should thanks. just hang out I love this what's your what's your favorite what's your favorite beer that's that was one other question uh, barley wine actually or um, oh, boy a barley, yeah Ooh. barley wines or uh. quads I like Belgium quads um, okay what's your so, opinion uh, of Coors Light and this is <laughs> this is very important there is a right answer here my friend so so second Thessalonians 1 9 <laughs> there you go that's the depth of his opinion on that oh, <laughs> wait what, what was the question I didn't, actually I didn't oh I'm sorry I'm sorry I am I am a uh, unapologetic Coors Light fanatic and um, you are. I do I get mocked so, I get mocked for I, this can you do a quick 30 second story yeah um so of course so Eternity Bible College, where I teach a lot of beer snobs, and I say that with the most pride. We we love good craft beer. We look yep. down upon people who drink Coors Light. Of well, course you do. Um, you know, Southern California gets hot in the summer, and it's I hot. start I start drinking Coors Light like That's in, right. like when it's hot. You That's can right. work outside. It's icy. It's like thirty three degree oh, yeah. beer. You know, the mountains are blue. I'm like this stuff is really good. Thank you. And for two years, I felt like I couldn't even tell my colleagues because they would just look down <laughs> upon. And finally, I had this coming out party where I took them into a room and I was like, I got to confess something to you. I actually, not only do I like Coors Light, but I actually keep some in the fridge. And they just oh. kind of looked at me with this disappointing look. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I, I've never met anybody that either drinks Coors Light or admits it and, and actually likes it. So, no, no, we did it. We did a So we did a live podcast show. And uh, we had about sixty people there, and I, I, the only drink we served was Coors Light, 
and and it was it was and it was hilarious because all the beer snobs brought their own. They're like, no, oh, yeah. no, oh, we're yeah. not even we're not even touching this. Uh, Preston, I I loved you before. Now there's something there's something that's new here. I can't believe you've created a coming out culture of Coors Light closet yes, lovers. Yes, yes, there is a coming out. And most I, Bible colleges, people are admitting that they had a beer. For us, it's we admit that we like light beer. Oh, it's so <laughs> good! It's so good. Um, okay, go ahead. First Thess. So on that note, Second Thessalonians one nine. Oh, Second Thess. Sorry, Paul, yes. Paul uses the phrase, um, however you translate it, eternal destruction. Yeah. And again, with our Augustinian lenses on, we don't even think about the possible ambiguity there. We just say, see, the destruction is forever. Well, does that mean that the destruction, the results of the destruction last forever? Like once you're dead, you never come alive again? That's a forever death. Right. Or does it mean that the act of destroying... Yes. Continues on forever and ever without complete destruction. Right, right. If you don't see those two as possible meanings there, then you're done. You can't look at this debate with any level-headed. If you see that the Greek words can, can could convey either one of those two, and I would, I mean, honestly, if you look at, I mean, this is going to get kind of complex, but if you look at the way Greek adjectives interact with uh, verbal nouns that are used there, I mean, it, I think the weight of the exegetical argument would go towards the annihilation view there, that the, the destruction, meaning the results of the destruction, last oh, it's forever, yeah. meaning it's never reversed. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, there is no, there is no reincarnation. There's nothing... There's, right. no, there, there's a resurrection, and then it's a, the, the, what Revelation calls the second death. Right, right, totally. And then this, just if I can come back, because then, you know, uh, I think there's a super strong case for the annihilation, but then the question is, what do you do with these those other two verses that I read? And when people ask me that, I say, okay, just to be, let's just get everything on the table, make sure we're understanding hundreds of verses versus two, just so we're on the same page. Right. I've said that to people, and they, they're so committed to the traditional view, they don't like it when I frame that way, so then we have to go back and start working through all the passages again, because we can't, again, I not to keep advertising my seminary, but I learned in exegetical class <laughs> at a conservative seminary that, you know, you use the majority passages to interpret the minority. Right. You use the unambiguous words like death, destruction, perish to help us understand ones that might be a little more complex. So right. when we get to Matthew twenty five forty six, again, we have the same question that we have in that we had in Second Thessalonians. Does eternal punishment mean the never-ending act of punishing yeah or does it mean that the punishment which is death that's clear from many other passages yep. that the punishment that death will last forever namely it can't be reversed so even if you go back to matthew 25 uh, i think that the annihilation view makes perfect sense there okay mm-hmm. what uh, what do you see as the best argument for universalism <clears throat> um the best argument for universalism that there I would say there's two biblical arguments that you can make for universalism. Number one, in the Old Testament, you do have a theme that when God pours out his wrath, when he destroys Israel, for instance, um, when he exiles Israel, um, there will be restoration on the other side. You, you have, a, I would say, a fa- fairly... Well, not yep. cons- it's fairly you could see it in multiple passages. Uh, oh my goodness! Yes, Lamentations three thirty one says, "For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though He causes grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love." So, what some I would say careful um, 
interpreters of scripture who are nihil- or universalists do is they, they take this theme and they basically map that you know restoration after punishment theme on the new testament that would be one main argument the other one would be you do have you do have statements in the new testament um Usually they're kind of individual verses, but there are right. a few passages where there's a few verses that in and of themselves would suggest universalism. The, 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 I would say the most compelling one for me is Romans 5.18. Uh, Paul says, just as one trespass, talking about the yep. sin of Adam, led to the condemnation for all men. And right there we got to stop and ask my audience, who's all men? And any even quasi-Calvinist is going to say, that's everybody. Everybody's under condemnation. Okay, we got that. Good. Let's read the rest of the verse. So one act of righteousness, the death of Jesus, leads to the justification and life for all men. So there you have the dual, yep. all men, all men. One refers, I think most people would say that's talking about everybody. Well, if the first one is talking about everybody and the second act of Jesus reverses the condemnation, who's it for? And universalists would say all men means all men. That's it. Yep. Um, and you have, I would say, a handful of these passages, Romans 11, 32, Colossians 1, 20, 1 Corinthians 15, and a couple others. So right. that that would be, and then you, like in Revelation, you have, you know, the, the gate of the city will always be open and the nations will be coming in. And you have, you have these kind of, I would say, subtle images that could suggest that the offer of salvation will extend beyond the grave, if you will. So yes. that, that would be, yeah, I hope I'm representing the universalist best, but those would be probably the most compelling biblical arguments. Yep, yep. And and where are you on uh, all those? I mean, if I if I had to guess based on your uh, explanatory <laughs> enthusiasm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going door number two. Um, I'm actually working on a fourth view. Maybe... <laughs> Um, uh, how, so, so, you know, when you have the all men, all men, how do you counter then when you, when you're looking at eternal conscious torment, the eternal life juxtaposed with, um, you know, eternal torment in Matthew, Matthew 25, you know, again, yeah, 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 there again, I would say that, um, uh, the, it, I believe that the punishment lasts forever. Punishment. I don't okay, so it's the same. It'd be the same answer. Yeah. That that it's the it's the consequences of the punishment yeah. that are eternal. It's not the act of punishing. Exactly. I now would just say, let's look at scripture as a whole. What's the punishment for sin? What does Paul say about the wages of sin? It's always, death. Always death. So, so when Jesus says the punishment will last forever, if we just take a good biblical theology and say, well, what is the punishment? Well, it's death from many other passages and we say, okay, the death will last forever. That, and that just means it's irreversible. So right. it's not saying the act of punishing will last forever. So how um, do you, you know, go ahead. Well, I just, Oh, do you want me to say, well, yeah, I definitely think that there's the old, there's the overwhelming biblical evidence. If you look at it from a, a fair, as unbiased view as you can, the overwhelming exegetical evidence, do all the word studies, do all the, whatever uh, points to annihilation. I would say that very confidently. Yeah. Do you? Um, and but that's new. I mean, this. You know, I, I'd always heard that, at least in seminary, for me as kind of a liberal. You know, trying to soften hell, uh, sort of, uh, sort of view. But but there is this kind of reengaging with it that I think is is very interesting. Um, yeah. When you guys when you guys were working on er, uh, erasing hell, um, did did you have a 
I know the book wasn't about which view uh, was right. Um, but was there a, was there a subtext that has changed a bit for you as you've, as you've worked on this issue since then? Yeah. Yeah, it has, you know, both Francis and I, we're, we're, I would say, yeah, we're very eager to go where the text leads and, and, um, and, and when we approached a topic, we both said, you know what, we, we know what we think we know about hell. We know what we grew up believing, but let's actually look at scripture as clearly and unbiasedly as we can and let's go where the text leads it, it, and it really was directed at the question what does the bible say about hell is it a real place and is it reversible can people escape hell so it was really the the question of is the universalism position correct so that was the main um question we were asking um and now, so were the, you dealing with just bell's expression of universalism or like your friend robin uh, yeah, were you considering and, some of those uh, arguments? I don't. Re- it's been a while since I've read the book. I don't remember. So yeah, you know, we the book, the idea for the book started because of Rob Bell's book. But very early on, we said let's let's not make it just a response to Rob Bell. Let's because I mean Rob Bell he opened up um, a whole can right. But I mean that was yeah. because a lot of people were wondering and asking and this that. So I mean I think he tapped into a larger cultural. Um, need for a reexamination of hell. So he took a stab at it. We were like, well, let's take our stab at it. So pe- people, you know, they framed it as just a response to Bell. Be- Bell's name doesn't exist in the last half of the, the book. So no, right. I, you know, and, and now, you know, Bell's a super sharp dude. I'm really smart, but his book exegetically was not that great. There, there's a lot of other, I would say, stronger works out there advocating for universalism. I mean, again, Robin Perry would be the main one. So I, no, I, when I interacted with a universalist view, I definitely, I, 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 I interacted with Bell, but I also want to take who are the best philosophers and theologians and biblical scholars doing this and interact with them. So, yep. Yep. um, yeah. so we, in the, in people ask me, you know, whenever I talk about hell, they're like, Oh, he changed his view. He doesn't believe in his book anymore. I'm like, look, we <laughs> devoted, we devoted a page and a half to the specific duration of hell. Um, and we landed, we leaned towards the traditional view, admitting that we were kind of shocked at how much evidence there was for the annihilation. But we said, basically, in, either of these views would rule out universalism. That's our main thing. Is hell reversible? No, we, we don't. We don't think it is. Right. Um, and so we were. I think we were very honest with where we're at at that point. Now, we did cite those two or three passages, and uh, since then, I've, you know. As I keep studying, I'm just seeing so much overwhelming support for the annihilation view, and the couple verses that could support the traditional view, I think, are just easily explained if you just look closely at the wording. So yeah, I definitely have leaned heavily towards annihilation since writing that book. But even in the book, the book wasn't a commitment to the traditional view Correct. per se. How do you? How do you? So so let's say you're a non-follower uh, of Jesus. And uh, you're hearing this. We have we have loads of folks who are outside uh, Jesus land who uh, who tune in. How 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 have you found framing this the the entire issue um, in in ways that are that are helpful for people to understand or ways that are not helpful? In other words, okay, yeah. just the idea that I'm still zapped out of existence as a form of judgment. I mean, it's better than the I'm going to suffer forever view, uh, but it still sounds like it really doesn't comport with this relentless love of God you Christians talk about so much. 
Yeah, that's great, man. That's a really good question. And I, yeah, a shout out to all you who aren't in, <laughs> in Jesus land right now. You know, Jesus land, the prices have gone up. It's really expensive. And <laughs> lot, there's a lot of goofy rides. and Oh, my, and yes. Stuff. So I, you know, if you're kind of allergic to Jesus land, I, I get it. I've been there. And so, um, a lot of unhealthy food. I can keep going. Should I stop? It's becoming like Tokyo's version of Disneyland. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> you know, no, I saw this. I impressed it just, just as a kind of a one-off, but it'll help kind of where we see, kind of we see ourselves, uh, and I th- where I see you too. There, it, it's not just that we're we ask people to accept Jesus. We ask people to accept the Christian subculture in order to accept Jesus. Oh man! And we're trying to as best we can recognizing we all have lenses that you know to some degree are inescapable um to 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 dismantle the subculture bit so yeah. that you can come to Jesus and not have your view of the trinity all figured out or your inspiration all figured out or or hell all figured out yeah and that's great, uh, yeah. and well no no I mean it's it's what you're doing too so yeah. so that's why I was asking that I was asking that question out of the idea that um you know, even even for those of us who are Jesus followers, we're like annihilation just sounds infinitely more compassionate than um, finding the the that moment when you're most tortured and then just reliving that for an eternal series of evers. Yeah. Um, as and so we say, okay, being you know zapped out of existence is far better than that. But there, that's still the apologetic argument. Of, well, why 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 is there hell to begin with? I'd love yeah. your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a great question. I guess um, kind of like the let me open up another can of worms, but kind of like the creation debates of Genesis one and age of the earth. Like we need to begin these discussions, especially when there's a broad audience listening. That th- these are in-house things that good people differ on, and you don't need to have a preconceived view of hell to become a Christian. These that's are right. things that you right. wrestle with once you're inside the community, um, once you're wrestling with scripture, wrestling with your view of God and everything. So. Um, you know, come. You know, let's let's talk about Jesus, the gospel, and then talk about these things. These aren't like prerequisites to be a Christian. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I would say the the way I like to frame it is generally as I can is rather that's what this is why I don't like the annihilation. I like the conditional immortality. That this is I would say this is a fairly basic part of the Christian worldview that humans are not created. Uh, immortal. So the question is, how do we attain immortality? Right. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and he gifts us with that immortality. So right here, I'm already assuming a certain basic things about the Christian worldview. And then as, as the sort of, well, what happens to those who don't? Well, they're left up to their natural human path, which will end in death. I mean, that's a, in a sense that death is a very natural part of life. No one's going to, you know, give the God the finger because people die. Like, it's like, it's so natural, right? That humans are born, they live, they get old and they die. I don't think we see that as unjust. So if it's accepted within our sort of view of life as a whole, then let's expand it to our view of the afterlife. And then it's like, God's not doing anything that society is not just totally okay with. So, um, and well, and you could even, you could even state that by saying, well, God's just not doing anything. It's not like he's smiting these people out of existence. This is just what naturally happens unless he, right? Unless he intervenes. Now, as an in-house discussion, we're in-house, house, whatever. It's a podcast, so I mean, Satan could be listening to this for all I know. Um, <laughs> oh, he is. Oh, he takes note. 
there, there would be two different views on that, which Correct. you just said there. One would be like yeah. the C.S. Lewis, um, hell's locked on the inside, like people are in hell because people desire to be there. It's not God putting them there. But you all, and you have, I think you have scriptural support for that, that it's, and, and um, I think the best um, advocate for the traditional view today is a guy named Josh Ryan Butler. Yeah. And uh, he still understands the traditional view, but it's framed very differently. But yep. he, he would take that kind of C.S. Lewis, like this yes. is just God leaving humans up to what they're choosing for themselves. But you do have other passages in scripture that do seem to talk about God's agency in the punishment. I, I don't, you would have to at least consult those passages and wrestle with that. But again, I think it's something to wrestle with. I don't think it's like you have to accept one or the other before you become a Christian or understand the afterlife. I think there's good people on both sides there, but yeah, yeah. there definitely are some, I mean, the second Thessalonians one where God, you know, Jesus will execute vengeance on his, all those who oppose him, you know I mean? It seems to be kind of active there, not just leaving people up to their own desires. So yes. Uh, now, yeah. now the, the question for me in, in those, and this, this takes us, this opens up in your words, another, another can a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I'm tempted to join N.T. Wright in everything he ever says, but particularly <laughs> um, the idea that that perhaps, you know, what's being spoken of there is an eternal uh, judgment for all persons everywhere. But those who are, you know, Paul has in view there those who are persecuting the church um, in the first century. Yeah. And um, in, in, what N.T.'s done for me is he's woke me up to how often I de-historicalize yeah. uh, texts like that. You know, I just think, oh, he's just talking about all, all people everywhere, as opposed to the possibility that, well, well, maybe what he's speaking of there specifically, and it could be, of course, implied about all people everywhere, but specifically he's talking about Jesus is going to be vindicated by the destruction of Jerusalem um, and uh, the ultimate dismantling of the Roman Empire, and you know, blah 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 blah. Do you have Do you have any thoughts that direction or not? That's a great question. Um, man, that's you. that's great. Yeah, I first of all, N.T. Wright would be absolutely appalled, uh, Mike, that you and I drink Coors Light. I think I think he wouldn't say that that's beer. That's like no, no, jacked up water. So <laughs> I want to I want to um, be clear. N.T. Wright is still a fallen human, and so he is entitled to be wrong <laughs> on one thing. And that's it. That's absolutely um, it. I actually asked him. I I had lunch with them last year. Oh goodness! Year. Don't no. No no you, not that. no. No, let me qualify that. That okay. sounds like a name drop. I'm not trying to name drop. He he has lunch. Any I mean, he is so open to hanging out with anybody. So it's not. You know, I happen to be traveling through Scotland, coming right through his little fishing village town that he lives in, and um, contact him ahead of time. He he always checks his email. It's I don't know how he does it. And I've said, hey, can I buy you lunch and a pint? And he said, I'd love to. You know, so th there's no, I'm not. <laughs> what's his so, what's, what's his email? <laughs> can, you, can, can we off air? Can we literally, just... it's on the website of St. Andrews University where he teaches at. And he, he emailed him and he's like, hey, what's going on? Like, he's, I don't know how he does that. It's crazy. Okay. Um, uh, and he's taking and notes he, right now. He, you know, he definitely takes kind of a C.S. lewis -y thing. He, he's always fascinated at how much yes. Americans yes. are fascinated with hell. Yes. He's like, I don't know what is it with you people over there. Like you just, and I guess my pushback to that is what the, it is, does come up in the Bible quite a bit. Like Jesus, I don't, Jesus does, does talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
Now, now, what's your yeah, take? Would, uh, oh, go ahead. Go he, ahead. He would, he would lean more toward. I mean, he says, yeah, maybe if I looked at it further, I'd probably be more of an annihilationist or something where their humanity kind of fades out of existence. He's definitely not a traditionalist. No, 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 no. No. What is it? Um, what was this hope one? Uh, simply hope or surprised by hope? Surprised by hope. There, there it is. <laughs> simply Christian and surprised by hope becomes simply hope. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, you know, he talks about, he talks about the, if you're not reflecting Christ, um, you, you, you're ceasing being human. So you become something else. So it's, it's kind of this middle, yeah. kind of this middle kind of weird ground. Um, so you, but you asked a question about yep. looking at these sort of judgment passages more in, in a first century kind of judgment on Jerusalem and AD yep. 70. I, I think there's, there's definitely something there. And, um, you know, the more I read the book of Revolu- Revolution, the more I read the book of Revelation, <laughs> it's um, I, I think Revelation is way more about the first century than it is about the future. I mean, to me, I, not everything. I think there's passages that are definitely about the second coming and sure. the last couple chapters are, sure. you know, new heavens and new earth. But so much there is really first century stuff. So I'm, I'm very much um, wanting to explore that reading more. But, I, you know. I, I've read him on Matthew 24, which is a famous kind of end times passage. Yep. He, yep. he wants to put it all in the first century. And I I just can't get, I tried to get there from that reading. And I'm like, man, this, I don't, I don't see it. I see a lot of first century stuff, but not everything. And, you know, he even talks about, you know, Jesus coming on the clouds, not in second coming stuff, but judgment on Jerusalem. That's and, right. Yep. So all that to say, though, I think that there is definitely a place for exploring some of these maybe harsher judgment passages to be referring to something a little bit more historical and contextual and specific rather than sort of universal yeah. and all inclusive. So I, I, I would need to revisit some of those passages with that in mind. I don't have a firm view on that. One last question before we let you go. A um, lot of debate about Gehenna. So Jesus, when he uses yeah. the word hell and obviously uses it more than any, anybody else, you've got it in James um, yeah. uh, you've got what Tardis and Peter, and yeah, then you've yeah. got, uh, you've got Gehenna. And uh-huh. so, you know, the traditional understanding is it was a garbage dump and those sorts yeah. of things. What, um, you know, as you were researching all of this, uh, what did you discover about it? Yeah, good question. So yeah, Gehenna is used, uh, 12 times in the new Testament, 11 times in the gospels, once in James. So it's not, it's never used, uh, outside of, well, outside of the gospels or James, um, <laughs> That's why, you, that's why you get paid the big bucks, buddy. I love it. <laughs> and uh, the the word, it, it ultimately is derived from some judgment passages yep. in Jeremiah, and um, I think uh, primarily Jeremiah, a couple other prophets. And then, but it was really kind of came to be this term to refer to what we now know as hell um, between the testaments and, and a lot of Jewish kind of reflection. They developed this idea that. The, the place of final judgment will be called Gehenna, will be hell. The, the idea that, Ge- I, mean, I mean, and Gehenna comes from the Valley of Hinnom, which is a, a real mm-hmm. valley outside yep. of Jerusalem. Now, this is where a lot of people get sideways. They, they, they all of a sudden forget that metaphors can have deeper meaning. So they say, oh, so hell is just a place outside Jerusalem, you know, or it's just a <laughs> valley. You can go visit there. It's actually a nice place. You know, it's ACDC, where all my friends are, you know. Um, <laughs> That, that's a song, by the way. Yeah. Oh no, no, we got it. We got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's just not yet. Yes, the yes, the Valley of Hinnom is a valley outside Jerusalem, um, but that was in the Old Testament 
talked about a place where God will sort of violently punish evildoers, and it became a metaphor for punishment in the afterlife. So when a first century Jew talked about Gehenna, he wasn't talking about the valley out there outside Jerusalem. It was an afterlife concept through you know, usage over time. Now, the, the idea of it being a garbage dump, that, that, that actually comes the first time we see yeah. the Valley of Hinnom. That's late. Being referred to as a garbage dump comes from an, an 11th, 1100 AD, over a thousand years after Jesus, from a Jewish rabbi living in Europe. He wasn't even <laughs> in Jerusalem. And here's the, here's the kicker is he talks about the the valley being a garbage dump as a metaphor for hell. Like he, he's not saying that that's what hell is. It's a garbage dump. Right. And this is what Bell drove me crazy when he's like, hey, if somebody asks you, you want to go to hell? Like, yeah, my gar- I throw my garbage there or whatever. Like, well, that's, that's, not even, <laughs> that's not even what the very, 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 very late tradition is even talking about. Like they were using it as a metaphor for the real thing. So yeah, that um, somehow that tradition got embedded. So you still hear it in sermons and stuff, but yep. most – evangelical scholars have realized that that's that's just one of these kind of brain farts that happen in scholarship and and we um it's it's not really the case that it's hell is like a garbage dump yeah yeah (laughs) um so so just to our audience i want to let you know preston um he's got his own website prestonsprinkle.com he has a podcast theology in the raw so when I when I think of that, I picture you in your basement in your boxers. Just to be honest, I just that's the picture that comes to mind. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Uh, no, I go I go full freedom, man. <laughs> Come on, uh, kilts are expensive. When he's wearing his kilt, yeah, kilts are expensive. Um, and uh, and so you've written a book, Erasing Hell. You've edited this book, uh, Four Views on Hell. If you want to want to pick these up, they're very very interesting. Uh, interesting reads. Um, any other any other ways to to get in touch? Obviously, you're on Twitter and Facebook and all those sorts of things. Your MySpace page is amazing. Uh, I'm so impressed with that. Um, Especially all the flash animation. Yes, it's, it's so impressive. He's got some quiet riot going in the background. It's great. Um, anything else you want to want to let us know about? Is there a website for your uh, um, for your presidential foundation? Uh, yeah, no, no, there's not yet. There will be. So yeah, the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Look for that website soon. But yeah, I would say my my personal website, PressAndSprinkle.com, that's kind of the hub for everything. My podcast is uploaded there. Um, my books, my bio, everything. So yeah, that's the best Love place it. to go. And 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 I will say, just as a man who is not very handsome, Preston's very <laughs> handsome. And uh, at least in some pictures, some pictures you're average, and some pictures you're it's quality. Right, and, <laughs> it's like the Bradley um, Cooper of theology. Yeah, and I don't know which which is the most accurate. Is it the average picture, or is it like the spectacular? I don't I don't know. Um, so my friend, my brother, thank you for your time. Um, seriously, it means so much. So grateful you were moving in these in these spaces. I love your integrity. I love your passion. Um, and uh, highly encourage our folks to to tune into what you're doing. So appreciate you, man. Hey, you too. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Told you that's some good stuff, man. Holy cow! So so if you're interested, I mean, pick up the book, uh, the Four Views book, and and there are particularly for those of you who are not in Jesus Land, there are these. They're called the Counterpoint series, written by Zondervan. Uh, which is the publisher, and uh, you can go on Amazon, and they they have all sorts of interesting, um, you know, two views on creation and evolution, two views on Genesis one, two views on uh, the rapture. I mean, just all these big sort of questions, and it's just it's just interesting. Uh, but we're big fans of Preston, as you heard, and uh, check him out. 
for us, um, we're just grateful to be a part of your life. We've got uh, we've got stuff cooking in 2017 that we'll be let. We're trying to firm up some live shows and some dates around the area, and we've got a couple other interviews uh, potentially coming. So Andy Bear's been busy. Uh, so proud of him. How are your ducks doing? Okay, hey, oh. don't care. Uh, that's fantastic. So, um, no. All right, how are they doing? Well, I, I, I'm not going to share with you now. It's, it's <laughs> pearls to swine. <laughs> are they okay? We're doing great. We're number one in the NHL. Okay. Of course. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's like, that's, that's like uh, you know, b- being voted most beautiful at the Western <laughs> Kentucky County Fair. I mean, it's okay. Well... Yeah, you know. Yep, you it's ta- all you right. Take them where you can get them. Yes, you sure, sure can. Um, so, brothers and sisters, thank you as always. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance to you and may He give you peace. Till next time, brothers and sisters. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.